Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Another annoying weekend. It's what we do at Newsbusters. You know, CBS was called the Columbia Broadcasting System. But a lot of times now you watch it and you just think, yeah, there's a lot of people would think it stands just for corrupt BS. They are so hyper-partisan and they don't care if you know it. Just two weeks ago on this podcast, I noticed that there was just partisanship in the morning and in the evening. You know, they had this CBS Sunday morning, had socialist economist Robert Reich to talk about the horrors of a shutdown that hadn't happened. Then on Face the Nation, host Margaret Brennan pounded away at House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. This could later be a possible reason Democrats decided to let Matt Gates win and have Speaker McCarthy dumped because he said mean things about Democrats on the Margaret Brennan show. Then on that Sunday night, 60 Minutes featured a gushy interview with Attorney General Merrick Garland with Scott Pelley asking softball questions. Talk to me about losing relatives in the Holocaust. How would you like to look when the history books are written? So, you know, morning tonight, all day bias. And here we are again, two weeks later, same thing. This time, let's go night back to morning. On 60 Minutes, Scott Pelley interviewed President Biden again, like he did last year. Biden and his team know that nothing will be too tough for him to handle. Um, you know, because they'd seen the Merrick Garland interview. How hard can it be? Well, look, this was an interview about just the Israel-Hamas war. So there was going to be no questions about Hunter Biden. There's going to be no questions about uh, Biden doing an interview with uh, Robert Hur. Who? Hur. The special counsel in the Biden classified documents matter. You know, the networks try to avoid that that's actually a thing. Uh, they try to not talk about it. So that was certainly not going to be talked about by Scott Pelley. Uh, they stuck just to the Israel questions. Even then, there were a bunch of questions he could have asked that he didn't ask. He didn't confront Biden with, you know, what, what's your problem with Benjamin Netanyahu? You don't want him at the White House. You decide you'll meet him at the U.N. instead because somehow you don't want to give him the respect of coming to the White House. Pelly's not going to confront Biden with your national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, just said... The Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. <laughs> yeah, that didn't turn out well, so we won't ask Biden about that. Usually when you ask a team Biden person like Blinken, they try to say, oh, no, he was right. He was still right. Sounds wrong, but he was right. Uh, the worst question Pelly asked to Biden was him suggesting where the, the hard right Republicans are making the world a more dangerous place because they can't settle on a speaker. Listen. The president is asking for billions of dollars for Israel and Ukraine. But Congress is paralyzed. 
hard-right Republicans are obstructing the election of a Speaker of the House. Does the dysfunction that we've seen in Congress increase the danger in the world? Yes. Look, this is not your father's Republican Party. 30% of it is made up of these MAGA Republicans who are maybe... Democracy is something I don't... They don't look at it the same way you and I look at democracy. Yes, many people here at the Media Research Center did not like Biden saying they don't look at democracy the way you and I look at it, Scott, because we think democracy and the Democrats are the same thing. When Democrats lose, democracy loses. If the Trumpers win, democracy is over and authoritarianism is on the march. Um, But yes, but just this whole notion that even now where the judge says, yes, we're going to impose a gag order on Donald Trump so he may not discuss the special counsel in this case who's indicted him. You can't question the judge. You can't say, you're a basket case and they're fat or whatever the truth social message would be. Uh, you know, So you indict your opponent, the Biden Justice Department, Uh, indicts the president's opponent four times or two times and then two times with other Democrats. And, you know, that's apparently democracy. See, they would say, well, that's holding Trump accountable. That's the way democracy works. But as we know from Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation, when it was suggested to her that Biden could be indicted for classified documents, it was like, you can't make them equivalent. Well, they have they each have a special counsel. And, you know, considering the status of the documents, like Biden had serious classified documents in his garage for years. Why couldn't he be indicted for that? But everything that happens with the Biden scandals is they begin with the notion that you can't possibly compare it to Trump's ever. In fact, you should suppress all discussion of Biden scandals. Uh, because you're in danger of somehow making the two men equivalent. So don't say anything that Biden has a scandal. Now, Pally's interview with Biden had some sort of traditional questions, you know, the ones you would expect that a Tim Russert or some moderator would ask. Will American troops get involved in Israel? Should there be a humanitarian corridor in Gaza? You know, some of these sorts of questions. Can we fight in Ukraine and Israel at the same time or supply aid to both? And Biden gets to say, of course, we're America, Jack or Scott. Uh, And then Pelly did ask one of those annoying questions about, you know, should there be a ceasefire, Mr. President? Certainly about 1,200 Israeli civilians were killed in the initial attack. But now Hamas fighters and Palestinian civilians are being killed in the counterattack. Is it time for a ceasefire? Look, there's a fundamental difference. Israel is going after a group of people who engage in barbarism that is as consequential as the Holocaust. And uh, so I think Israel has to respond. They have to go after Hamas. Now, Hamas is a bunch of cowards. They're hiding behind the civilians. They put their all of their, their, their headquarters where civilians are and buildings and the like. But to the extent that they can separate out 
and avoid. I'm confident the Israelis are going to do everything in their power to avoid the the killing of innocent civilians. At least you can like Biden's answer here that he's basically suggesting that Hamas and uh, Hamas and the Holocaust sort of go together, and that Hamas is a bunch of cowards that hide behind civilians. That's that's a good answer. The answer gets not as good as it goes along, but. We are in danger a lot here of journalists saying, shouldn't there be peace now? Shouldn't there be a ceasefire now? Um, you know, can you imagine that after 9-11? Like a couple of days after the U.S. goes into Afghanistan, shouldn't we call it off before we get Osama bin Laden? I mean, the... the Journalists love to play this game, I'm the peacemaker, I'm the diplomat, I'm the one that gets all sides together, and we make peace. It's like, no, you should just get out of the way and shut up, you know? I mean, yes, you can ask questions about it, but, you know, there's something here. What you're basically saying is, it's like saying, don't fight Al-Qaeda. Declare a truce with Al-Qaeda. That's where we are with Hamas. Do you really want to declare a truce with Osama bin Laden? Do you think Osama bin Laden was interested in a truce? Could you trust Osama bin Laden? You know, this is just like getting Yasser Arafat to sign peace deals. You know, Hamas makes Yasser Arafat look like Jimmy Carter. And yet Scott Pelley and these people are still trying to suggest that somehow there's reasonable people inside Hamas. Then, of course, Biden was painted as the family man who had visited German death camps. You know, he, Biden just loves Israel. This is where all the talk about Netanyahu, you can really notice it's missing. Mr. Biden told us images of October 7th reminded him of the Holocaust, which he has studied, taking his family to the Dachau death camp in Germany. And then he shows a picture. This is 2015. The man in the wheelchair is a Dachau survivor. Behind Mr. Biden is the president's granddaughter. Behind the granddaughter is Hunter and a couple of hookers. No, no, no. I added that last part. You know, it's this is the promotional bit. Now, some people thought the president looked doddering in this interview. He had that, that one thing where he was like, you know, what about Hezbollah causing trouble? What was your advice? And Biden's like, don't, 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 don't. Like he's writing a song lyric or something or he's a he's a he's one of those lp records and the needle got stuck uh and pally tries to finish his sentence you know don't go into israel yeah so you know you can only imagine how much biden looked worse that they edited out because it's cbs and they're friendly even so pally wrapped up by saying you know, Biden seemed tired from directing all of this, but it was very clear on what he stood for and how his policies and his view would keep see America through. And then Pally asks him, given these two wars and the dysfunction in Congress, are you sure you want to run again? And of course, Biden then gets to make his little speech about how we can remake the world. Yeah, like you're doing a great job so far, pal. We have enormous opportunities to make it a better world. Tick, 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 tick. You know, this is this is an advertisement. So, you know, a year ago, Biden does, or Pelly does this interview with Biden. A lot of it's on COVID. A bunch of it's on the economy. Also, in the same show a year ago, 
in the Pelley interview with Biden, Leslie Stahl did a softball interview with the leader of Iran. At the time, we made the point. Nicer to the leader of Iran than you are to Republicans in America. The liberals would say, that's because we know who the real enemy is. Capital R, capital E. Somehow Iran's not really the enemy. Hamas is not really the enemy. Republicans, oh, there's the enemy. Now, two years ago, CBS reporter Sharon Alfonsi did one of these lame hit pieces on Ron DeSantis and that somehow his COVID vaccine rollout was uh, privileging the old people. She even said it sounded like the Hunger Games. Nobody really explained what on earth that meant. But here again, in the same program in which Scott Pelley's just been nibbling on his glasses, looking so serious, and asking puffballs to Biden, Sharon Alfonsi is suggesting Ron DeSantis is a criminal. Yes, DeSantis flew migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Sharon Alfonsi is promoting a sheriff in Texas who says DeSantis committed a crime. One sheriff says it was more than just a cruel political stunt. He says it was a crime. Yes, he's a Democrat. The whole story is this loaded hit piece where everybody in the story hates Ron DeSantis' guts and wants him in jail. First, she turned to tavern owners Larkin and Jackie Stallings. Now, I like playing this game. Jackie speaks Spanish, so she claimed the migrants were, you know, really just wanted to work and be Americans. Well, let's look up who's Jackie. We'll find her Twitter account. Guess what? Jackie's saying Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis should be cellmates. Hashtag human trafficking. Yeah, that's, that's who we're talking about. Yes, Jacqueline Stallings apparently is Mexican-born, so she obviously loves the migrants more than she loves the Republicans. Not a big shocker. She lives on Martha's Vineyard. They moved there from Texas. Alfonsi said to uh, Jacqueline's husband, Larkin, I think there was this idea that by dropping these migrants off in Martha's Vineyard, they were going to stick it to rich white people, liberal elitists and Larkin says that's hilarious because he missed it by two weeks. Then they were all gone. Well, yes, the the denizens of Martha's Vineyard and the you know the Biden administration got them removed from Martha's Vineyard as quickly as possible. Somehow that makes DeSantis look silly. I don't think so. Now they try to make a big point out of how uh, the Stallings love that these people are still in America. You know, settling in. Then came Bayar, it looks like Bexar, but it's Bayar, Bayar County Sheriff Javier Salazar. It was somehow illegal to fly illegal immigrants from Texas to Massachusetts. He said they were no longer undocumented, I guess, because, I don't know, CPB or, or CBP gave them a document that said, okay, you'll have an asylum hearing in six months that you won't show up for. At least Alfonsi says he's a Democrat. Well, he's an elected official. And, you know, A lot of times when you put a Democrat on, they don't say he's a Democrat. So I guess we give her a point or two for that. Salazar asked his organized crimes unit to investigate, like DeSantis is the mafia. 
After eight months, they uncovered what Sheriff Salazar calls a covert criminal operation. So apparently there were people on the ground that were trying to organize migrants to put on a plane. Is it a prank? Is it a stunt? Maybe. Uh, you, I think you can argue that it was, that, that in that one in particular, you know, the destination says stunt. Let's send them to Martha's Vineyard. You know, let's watch the libs lose their minds. So you can see that. But to try to suggest that that was somehow human trafficking tells you CBS is just lining up with left-wing Twitter. So we have Sheriff Salazar, we have the Stallings couple, and then they go to a lawyer named Rachel Self. She lives on Chappaquiddick. No jokes. This is CBS. We're not laughing. We're not talking about driving off a bridge. She drove off a bridge with this metaphor about DeSantis. Now, of course, Self blamed Congress for failing to pass some sort of overwhelming amnesty for sort of the waves we've seen of illegal immigration because it creates a vacuum for labor abuses and housing abuses and human trafficking. See, there's DeSantis again. He's like a coyote or something. Next, DeSantis will be blamed for importing fentanyl. On Twitter, it's also obvious Rachel Self is wishing the worst. She said, from the day they landed, we knew the Martha's Vineyard migrants were crime victims. DeSantis is the criminal. The migrants are the victims. CBS noted that Rachel Self had enlisted Sheriff Salazar in her campaign against DeSantis. So you can see how this story was stitched together. This Democrat knows this Democrat, and they're related or something to this other Democrat. They all go to the same bar in Martha's Vineyard. And then it has this weird ending where Sheriff Salazar is basically saying, DeSantis is a schoolyard bully who took advantage of people you thought were of no consequence. Now you're getting called on your crap. Sheriff Salazar recommended felony and misdemeanor criminal charges, says Alfonsi. Nothing has happened so far, but that doesn't stop them from doing a big commercial on 60 Minutes. Then Sheriff Salazar somehow compares himself to the Americans at the Alamo, which somehow means Ron DeSantis is the Mexicans at the Alamo. I, I don't profess to know how on earth that makes any sense. So let's go backwards to Face the Nation. Margaret Brennan had Ron DeSantis on Face the Nation. and She, of course, fought with him over his statement that we should not import any refugees from Gaza into the United States, that they're all anti-Semitic. She got very upset. You can't say everyone in Gaza's an anti-Semite. That's a broad overgeneralization. Only we get to do broad overgeneralizations like everybody who voted for Trump hates democracy. Uh, DeSantis was making this point. Um, they did vote in Hamas. So generally, that's not your ideal American voter. You know, it's funny that they're like, oh, America has too many people who are soft on authoritarianism. Hey, let's import some Hamas fans. But then she went and started picking on him about how the idea of that you would shoot people at the border 
who are, you know, cartel coyotes or whatever. She said, you told my colleague, Nora O'Donnell, when somebody's got a backpack on and they're breaking through the wall, you know that's hostile intent and you have every right to take action under those circumstances. Well, then she took it to a higher level because she wants to embarrass him. Can you explain how that would work? Would a soldier have to ask his commanding officer for permission before he shoots anyone wearing a backpack? Or is this just a blanket shoot anyone with a backpack? See, that's Margaret being a jackass. That is not a serious journalistic question. And we all know the real answer to that question, Margaret. It's this. Your your pals in the Democratic Party think that if you, you know, if you you can be accused of whipping Haitian migrants when you didn't whip them in any way whatsoever, when you're actually trying to prevent them coming in on horseback. CBP is not going to be shooting migrants at the border if they have to worry about 60 minutes. Oh, there you are, the heroes. DeSantis gets to answer. He said, cartels are invading this country and they are killing tens of thousands of our fellow citizens with fentanyl. We have every right and duty to fight back against that. And the reality is this administration is not doing a great job at the border, either with the fentanyl or with the migrants. Margaret Brennan, you think she's going to ask tough questions about that? Scott Pelley isn't going to ask tough questions about that. And so he starts talking about fentanyl. She goes right back to, yeah, 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 fentanyl. But how would you differentiate who's a threat? How would you say shoot people wearing backpacks? She just keeps hammering them about shooting people with backpacks. And DeSantis, of course, is sort of talking past her. He said, they're eating our lunch at the border right now because we don't do anything to fight back. That's going to change on January 20, 2025. You know, Republican candidates for president have to bicker with these so-called moderators. This is why we don't love the idea of having ABC and CBS and NBC and PBS moderating Republican debates. We're going to lose anyway because now there's an NBC debate in the works. Now we see Lester Holt and Kristen Welker are going to be moderating this debate. I guess Hugh Hewitt's going to ask some questions. You know what you're going to get with that? Let's make a prediction. Harwood, Harwood, Hugh Hewitt. In that, I mean you're going to get jerky questions like, are you going to shoot everybody with a backpack? Like John Harwood did in the CNBC debate in 2015. Is your campaign a joke? You know, uh, now, I'm not saying that the questions will be that bad, but they're going to be loaded liberal questions because all the pressure at NBC News is you better hit somebody in the face. And the interesting dynamic here is that, you know, Trump doesn't want to anybody to do these debates. So now we're going into a phase where he's going to say, you know, th these debates shouldn't be on TV, and all of these people are embarrassing the Republican Party by going on with NBC. I mean, that's probably the next line. All right. Finally, on sucky CBS Sunday again, last week CBS Sunday morning had a book segment with Rachel Maddow. CBS Sunday morning. Yes, yeah, so balanced. Robert Reich, Rachel Maddow. They would consider this balance. John Dickerson is in conversation this morning with David Brooks. 
David Brooks was a conservative, named to the New York Times opinion page in 2003. David Brooks wasn't really a conservative back then, but you know. We will go back to see Gail Collins, who hired David Brooks, said, I was looking for the kind of conservative writer that wouldn't make our readers shriek and throw the paper out the window. He was perfect. <laughs> I love that quote. That just says everything. It's sort of like, I was looking for a conservative panelist on The View that Rosie O'Donnell could have a drink with. You know what I mean? It's, it's that sort of a thing. It sort of discredits the person in advance with the actual conservatives. Yes, being an opinion columnist at the New York Times can often feel like being the, the, the Republican on The View. Now, you know, uh, that's not to say they're, every column's bad, right? Every Brett Stevens column is bad. It's just all the incentives and the rewards inside the New York Times system are to, you know, let Trump have it. And, and by the same token, David Brooks, once he joined the PBS NewsHour, all the incentives were for him to say, I agree with Jonathan Capehart, you know? This Friday... There's war in Israel, and they're perfectly willing to say Netanyahu deserves to lose his office for being terrible at this. And then they turn around, and Brooks says, I think this was Biden's best week as president. Do you think David Brooks in 2001, maybe they did, maybe they said after 9-11, this was Bush's best week as president. But that's, it's, it's a tacky thing to say. The country should unite. The country should unite after 9-11, and for heaven's sake, the country should unite over Israel's 9-11. People who claim to love democracy, Israel is a functioning democracy. Obviously, Hamas is not. Obviously, Hezbollah in the West Bank is not. Obviously, Iran is not really a highly functioning democracy. But, you know, here's Dickerson promoting a book by David Brooks. It's called How to Know a Person, The Art of Seeing Others Deeply and Being Deeply Seen. Really? I mean, once again, is that described the PBS NewsHour? We go out to, to deeply see conservatives and really deeply listen to them and hear what they have to say and humanize them. None of that's true. The big theory here, as David Brooks announced it, is my theory is in some people are diminishers. They make you feel invisible, not curious about you, stereotype you, label you. Other people are illuminators, and they are curious about you and make you feel lit up. So we obviously have a question here that Dickerson didn't ask. David Brooks, are you an illuminator? that's curious about your fellow man? Or are you a diminisher who stereotype and label people? The answer is he's a diminisher by his own definition. Um, let's go back to 2008 where David Brooks said Sarah Palin was a fatal cancer on the Republican Party. This is David Brooks who loved John McCain in 2000. But in 2008, boy, he loved the crease in Barack Obama's pants. He literally wrote of the crease in Obama's pants. 
So Sarah Palin was a fatal cancer. On the PBS NewsHour, David Brooks said, Ted Cruz employs dark and satanic tones. Does that sound like somebody who's not stereotyping and labeling people? Obviously, David Brooks is a diminisher. And then they, of course, showed a clip of Brooks in action on the news hour, you know, talking about how somehow this just happened in the Trump years, as we've just shown. It happened well before the Trump years. It obviously happened before he was hired at the New York Times because Gail Collins thought our readers won't shriek and throw the paper out the window, which means he had to be center to left. He had to, you know, be devoting a, a good chunk of his columns to trashing Republicans and conservatives because that's what the New York Times wants. And that's what it rewards. Because if you write Tom Cotton op-eds, if you publish Tom Cotton op-eds, you get fired. Anyway, this quote of Brooks on the PBS NewsHour that aired on CBS. The Republican Party used to be the party you weren't thrilled by, but they were the business party. They know how to run things. And that seems like eons or light years ago. Yes, you know what he's really saying there? It used to be it was the party of Bob Dole. It was the party of Bob Michael. It was the party that knew how to lose with grace and how to make tax hikes with Democrats and then get beat by Bill Clinton because you raised taxes with Democrats. Yes, they like their Republicans pliant and willing to lose. And then, of course, Dickerson highlights, you wrote after the latest Republican debate, it demonstrated the disease of narcissistic hucksterism. And then Brooks said, yes, that's Ramaswamy. Oh, he's not illuminating Ramaswamy. He's not curious about him. He doesn't want to make him feel lit up. He's a diminisher again. And then, of course, the whole thing concludes by talking about, gee, uh, Dickerson says to Brooks, you know, both left and right see a wolf at the door. And Brooks tries to say, it's not naive to lead with respect. Oh, yeah, like that's you, Mr. Lead with respect. It's practical. So I guess I reject the idea I'm being like a babe in the woods in a world of wolves. I have the tools in my book, please buy, that are the most aggressively effective at countering the wolf. Yes, this is what CBS does. CBS's idea of a right-wing subject is David Brooks, who agrees with Jonathan Capehart 95 to 98% of the time on the PBS NewsHour. I agree with David. I agree with Jonathan. There's no difference between you and the other one. There's totally a uniparty on the PBS NewsHour. If you don't think there's a uniparty in Congress, the uniparty is pretty much demanded on PBS. But we pay taxes for that. I guess CBS, when they're terrible, we don't have to pay our taxes for it. But we can still object to it. That's why you come to Newsbusters to read up on this stuff, to watch the videos, to see the transcripts. We've got all the evidence. Don't let the Democrats say there is no evidence. It's all here. At Newsbusters, come see once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.